This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. So on Saturday, leaders and top officials from uh, more than 12 countries gathered in the Egyptian capital Cairo for a conference to discuss ways to de-escalate the Israel-Hamas war amid growing fears of a wider Middle East conflict. Dubbed the Cairo Summit for Peace, representatives from a number of countries, including South Africa, Jordan, France, Germany, Russia, China, the United Kingdom, the United States, and Qatar, um, attended the one-day meeting along with officials from the United Nations and European Union. Um, According to reports, uh, speeches at the summit revealed disparities in attitudes towards the war and the meeting ended with leaders and officials failing to agree on a joint statement. I'm joined on the line now from the uh, senior researcher uh, from the Mapungube um, Institute that is named Gina. Good morning and thank you as always for talking to us. Good morning. Thank you. Let's uh, first start, uh, Name, just uh, tell us how this conference came about and in, t- in terms of also those that participated and, and the countries that uh, participated. Was it by invitation or how did it work? Yeah, it, it, the uh, conference was organized by Egypt, uh, mm. hosted by Egypt, and it was by invitation. So the mm. the uh, countries that participate were invited by Egypt to be part of it. Mm. Of course, um, Notably absent uh, from the peace conference was Israel um, or anyone representing the resistance groups in in uh, in Gaza. Mm. And I gather also the delegates uh, from the, the the United States only sent like a low ranking, and I'm using the word in inverted commas because I'm not exactly sure how you classify these things. But that there was a disappointment um, at the kind of the delegates that were sent by the United States. Yes, absolutely. I mean, m- most of the countries, uh, including uh, European countries, mm. um, sent either the heads of state or sent uh, heads of government or foreign ministers. Mm. But uh, the United States sent uh, the charge at the embassy in Cairo. Mm. Um, so it's not, not even an official from the State Department in, in Washington, but uh, from Cairo itself. Mm. And um, uh, from the reports that we've seen, that person didn't make any input into the meeting, just listened. Mm. It's not, I, I can't imagine name that you would have been surprised at the fact that there was no, um, given the variety of nations that were represented, that there was no consensus on a joint statement. Is that in itself problematic or should we really be focusing on the fact that there are now some kind of efforts underway at finding a you know, a diplomatic, uh, uh, you know, employing, uh, employing diplomacy to try and de-escalate the situation? No, I, I don't think that the Cairo summit, uh, you know, I mean, of course, not many people are uh, surprised that, uh, that it uh, achieved nothing. But uh, I, I think that it wasn't going to achieve anything from the beginning. The uh, Egypt organized this uh, partly because it has a feeling that it's becoming irrelevant in the Palestinian issue. Mm. Um, Egypt for a long time has maintained that uh, it is responsible for mediation, etc., on this. And you remember past 
times when uh, Israel has launched uh, onslaughts on Gaza, mm. it usually ended with Egypt mediating something. Mm. This time they're being quite left out of it, and so this was the attempt to become relevant. But, um, um, you know, before the summit even took place, we had two resolutions proposed at the United Nations Security Council, mm. um, and uh, both of those were vetoed by the United States. So one really couldn't expect that much would come out of the summit. Mm. So that said, then, what, uh, what I mean, are you going to do you believe that uh, this will at least be the start of efforts at de-escalating? Because I do wonder as well, name uh, how concerned um, we should be about an escalation in the sense that uh, of particularly with uh, the noises coming out of Iran, that they could well enter the fray, particularly, uh, well, certainly Hezbollah, look like, Hezbollah looks like they might um, weigh in into this, uh, into this conflict here. What do you, what's your reading of that situation there? I think it's unlikely that Iran would get involved. I, I, I think that that would, uh, from Iran's perspective, that would be too much of an escalation that um, that that it can't afford politically and otherwise but the possibility that hezbollah could get involved uh, is there mm. uh, hezbollah is right on the border um, on the lebanese side of of the border and uh, not only that but of course we know that there are uh, millions of uh, palestinian refugees living in lebanon mm. and all of the groups that are part of the resistance in in uh, Gaza, whether Hamas, Islamic Jihad, the Popular Front, and and others, uh, all have representation in those refugee camps in uh, in Lebanon, and all of them have armed groups. Mm. So we saw, for example, since the seventh of October, when all of this began, that there was an infiltration by an Islamic Jihad unit into Israel from Lebanon. Um, rockets being fired uh, over the border from Lebanon uh, that didn't come from Hezbollah but from Hamas. So the possibility that if there's a ground invasion into Gaza, Mm. um, that could happen, that there could be an escalation from the Lebanese side, uh, and it could possibly even include uh, particularly Palestinian uh, kind of ground forces, if you like, coming into Israel from the north. Mm. Uh, but I don't think that it's going to go broader than that. I, I don't think that um, anyone has the appetite or believes that it, it's uh, useful for mm. it to escalate uh, beyond that. What would have been the end game uh, for, uh, from a Hamas point of view, name uh, in terms of uh, what they hoped to achieve with this strike? I mean... Um, I, I don't imagine that they that this in itself was supposed to be uh, an end rather than a means to an end. What would they have been hoping to that this will lead to? So this is interesting because from the beginning, they issued no demands. Mm. Um, they didn't say, you know, we'll, we'll stop if this or that happens. Um, and what we saw kind of later in that first week, it's now been two weeks, um, later in that first week, the the voice coming out of uh, Hamas was that they actually they they believe that this is a, the beginning of a war of liberation in a sense mm-hmm. that it could be a long term thing. There might be pauses, there might be ceasefires, but seventh of October represented the beginning of uh, 
uh, of a war of liberation mm. where Palestinians will liberate themselves. So they're not seeing this uh, as kind of uh, um, uh, something to achieve short-term demands, whether mm. it's around prisoners or around even around the siege on, on, on Gaza. It's much more long-term than that. And just finally, as far as the Israel's uh, conduct and the way that they have re- responded here, nothing new there. I think what it is here this time that is different is obviously scale. What? Uh, how far do you see them going here? I mean, what's going to? Uh, do you think that uh, the Americans will be able to rein them in? I mean, eventually they will because that's just generally how it works. That is generally how it works. No, you, you're right. I mean, it, it's not new, but uh, the scale is uh, is, is what uh, matters and what we see here. So in the first seven days, um, Israel had killed more people in Gaza than it did in 2014, in 51 days uh, before the ceasefire. Uh, so, you know, the scale is quite huge. And then the, the destruction of infrastructure is much more than it ever has been before. Um, And it seems to also be, despite the American kind of uh, calls and statements uh, for humanitarian law to be Mm. obeyed by all sides, etc. I mean, um, now more than 60 medical facilities, including that uh, Ahli Baptist hospital with 500 people killed, have been attacked. Um, One church has been uh, has been destroyed. Uh, mosques have been destroyed. So the, the scale is way beyond. Um, the, the, the big question now, of course, is are they going to have a ground incursion mm. uh, and send in their ground troops? And, and I think that um, I, I, I think it's going to take a lot to con- for the uh, Israelis to convince themselves that that's worth the effort. Mm. Firstly, because their allies, European and American, are not too thrilled with that idea. Mm. And secondly, because in 2014, when they did that, um, they were ambushed and and lost that very badly. And the resistance in Gaza now, their capacity is much higher than it was in 2014. So the losses they could suffer would be great. Name Jenna, as always, thank you so much for talking to us. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you. He's a senior researcher at the Mapungube Institute. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.